When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, hello everyone and welcome to a special edition of the Indie Football Podcast. I am Ed Malian and despite the latest and busiest of nights, I'm here today to pick through the rotting carcass of Transfer Deadline Day for your entertainment. But as ever, I am simply incapable of conducting this August autopsy on my own and thus I turn to two of the Independent Sports Desk's finest young talents to help me dissect and gut one of the most remarkable transfer windows in history. And we'll take a look at Miguel Delaney's transfer window league table to find out who he thinks has won the sum with their business and whose recruitment was worthy of the drop. So please allow me to introduce our northern football correspondent, Scalpel out the ready, it's Mark Critchley. Good morning, Ed. How are you? Uh, I'm not so bad, I'm not so bad. And with the autopsy gag running dry, please allow me to place Evan Bartlett on the table for examination. Hello, Evan. Hello, Ed. So let's get down to it. Uh, first of all, thank you to all our new subscribers since Tuesday. We really appreciate you listening. But we're always on the lookout for feedback, so please contact us either via Twitter or via the iTunes review section to let us know how we are doing. And if you like the podcast, please tell a friend and share the joy. Deadline day, Critch. The biggest deal in the end, uh, not probably the most exciting, but probably one that is one of the most interesting to analyse because of what it means for both clubs. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain signing mm-hmm. for Liverpool, a club that you cover from Arsenal for £40 million. What does it say about the direction the Reds are going? What does it say about Arsenal? And what does it say about the Ox? Okay, should we go Arsenal first? I think we heard all these reports about how Oxlade-Chamberlain's taken a pay cut. He could have been earning. If he'd taken a new deal at Arsenal, it would have been £180,000 a week. Uh, he's taken 120 at Liverpool. I think you've got to ask, why has he given up fifty, sixty thousand pounds a week in order to move to another club? And it can't, for me, just be the position question. A lot of people saying he wants to play centre midfield, and he feels like he'll only get uh, games at wing back for Arsenal. Um, but I mean, if if that was the if that was the uh, sticking point, then why hasn't he gone to Liverpool and properly demanded to play centre midfield? Um, it sounds like he. Well, there's a lot of talk that say he went there because he's going to have the opportunity to play central midfield. Although uh, you may remember James Milner doing exactly the same thing, and he's currently well, Liverpool's what second choice left back, first well, choice he, left back. Klopp says he's going to play him in midfield this season, but he, yeah, he spent all season last season at, uh, at left back. So there's no guarantees there. Um, I think it says a lot about where Arsenal are at at this moment that um, one of their players would look to take a, a huge pay cut, really, which essentially is what it is to move to a to, to move to a direct rival um whether he's going to get that game time at liverpool in central midfield i'm not sure they've got the three players that played there against arsenal on sunday when they beat them 4-0 jordan henderson emre chan and Jorginho wijnaldum they were all excellent that day they've got naby Keita to come next summer of course oxley chamber is going to find it hard to break into that uh, into that three and then if he's going to play as more conventional kind of winger role, he's a very different player from Mane and Salah. So while he offers a little bit of variety, I just don't see how he's going to slot straight into that uh, Klopp's starting line. It does seem a bit like uh, James Milner, that he could be a victim of his own versatility in the way that he probably will play some games out wide. Mm-hmm. You know, They've got a lot of games this season with the Champions League and the League Cup and the FA Cup and the Premier League. So there will be enough games for him to you know, get probably a 30 or 40 game season in there. But he's going to play wide and he's going to play central. Mm-hmm. And he's probably at some point going to play at fullback or something, you know? And that's a bit what it's a bit like what happened to James Milner. So you do wonder if there is the sense in that. But it does, as you alluded to, suggest that Arsenal do feel like they're on a decline. The big story with Arsenal, really, more what didn't happen than what did happen, Evan. Alexis Sanchez uh, not going out the door. So they've kept him, but they've lost out on £60 million. Pounds, and obviously, they're not going to be able to. Uh, get any fee for Alexis Sanchez next summer they're going to lose him on a free most likely to a rival um, and if not a Premier League rival then at least someone who should be a Champions League rival if they can get back there and they also failed to attract Thomas Lamar um, some people close to Arsenal are trying to make out that 
perhaps it, there wasn't enough time. Whereas people from, uh, let's say, the other end of this are saying that Lamar didn't want to go there because he wasn't going to play Champions League football. So what does this all say about Arsenal? Uh, you know, how catastrophic has their window been? Yeah, I think in in terms of Sanchez, I think it's probably um, actually quite a good thing for Arsenal. They kept hold of him. You know, if he's their best player. Their real star quality player. If if he can help them get back in the Champions League and all the money that that can bring, then you know if that's they're only going to get what fifty million for Sanchez, but if they get back into the Champions League next year, then they're almost going to recoup no, there, that there money is something, away. There is something so. to that for sure. I've seen people suggesting that this means they're more in like win now mode. You know, that it's like they're keeping together their strongest team for this season. But how can you say that's the case when they've, they've sold off more players? You know, they've brought in a load of money this summer. They've made, yeah. I think, they made a, a net profit made this a profit, summer. Yeah. yeah. In the spring, when Wenger was getting the new contract and he was under extreme pressure, they're talking about spending £200 million to get themselves back into the title challenge sort of thing. They don't look like they're capable of a title challenge. Yeah. They're going to be playing Europa League, which really disrupts your Premier League form as well because you're always playing on, on Sundays and you're going Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. Do you think Sanchez is going to help them back into the Champions League this season? I don't know. Well, it's tough to say what kind of mindset he's going to be in because, you know, for all intents and purposes, it looked like he was really pushing for the deal, wasn't it, at the last minute? Um, so whether he can kind of recapture his form and really work hard for the team, that's, you know, up for debate. Um, but I think, you know, as I said before, he is their best player. So if he can really find some form, then they're a much better team with him in it. Um, in terms of Lamar, I'm not sure how much he really would have added to that team. Like he's a another kind of fairly lightweight attacking midfielder. Is I mean, he's he, good. He's very good. He's very good. Yeah, he scored very, tasty, two, yeah. two very good goals last night. But, yeah. you know... They've got so many players like that. Um, whether he would have really taken them to the next level, I'm not sure. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's as disastrous as some people are painting it to um, me. Under Arsenal, the thing, I think yesterday, it was a bad window for Arsenal before yesterday. Although, they, yes, they've kept their best player. The Lamar thing was just like one of these typical kind of self-owns that Arsenal always mm. seem to do where, you know... They, they don't put the due diligence in, they don't put the planning in, and then they don't get the player. Um, Manchester City were furious with the way that Arsenal um, went about the business yesterday. And you can see why they have every right to be. And City themselves left it late, I think there's blame there as well. But Arsenal, if they're going to line up a replacement for Sanchez, who's been going all summer, it should have been done months ago. Yeah. Critch just trying to emphasise how young he is by using the term self-own. <laughs> uh, two deals after Tight midnight, uh, Mamadou Sakho, Going to Crystal Palace in the end for a, a structured deal that's going to be around £26 million eventually. They got the centre-back they wanted, but they did not get the goalkeeper nor the backup striker. Um, we'll talk more about that later on when we go through Miguel's rankings. Uh, Danny Drinkwater is a Chelsea player. We think Adrian Silva may or may not have signed for Leicester. It's still really unclear what on earth has happened there. Um, so Leicester could have just lost a man. If they've replaced him with, with Adrian for, for £15 million, which was the rumoured fee last night, then uh, I think it's good business if they've just lost Drinkwater. I think they've got a good price for him, at least, Critch. Is that fair to say? I think so. £35 million, definitely. Um, I think Drinkwater is a good player. We saw two years ago with Leicester, his qualities. But, um, yeah, £35 million is just about the top of the ceiling. I think that um, a top club will be willing to pay for him. So. The most exciting midfielder to join a Premier League club yesterday was a loan deal. It was Renato Sanchez to Swansea, Evan Bartlett. Yeah. What do you feel about that? Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? I think... Uh, Paul Clement will be very pleased with his old mate Carlo Ancelotti. Well, it's all one. about personal relationships, yeah. that one, isn't it? Because there aren't many clubs that could have pulled that off. And, and that probably, you know, you're thinking Renato Sanchez has had a conversation with Ancelotti where Carlo's gone, look, I trust this guy to, to further your career. Yeah. Paul Clement is a very highly rated coach. He did a good job when he came in last year. Everyone I know that knows him from his time at Real Madrid says that, you know, he's, he's incredibly good with the players. And uh, he's got a very good player now to work with. Absolutely. Yeah, I think our, our very own Jack Pitbrook yesterday was saying Renato Sanchez is one of the most exciting young players in world football. So um, I think his performances at Euro 2016 with Portugal showed that. And um, yeah, he could be an amazing signing for Swansea. Well, it's bizarre to think that a year ago, Renato Sanchez and uh, Grigor Kovac, who has now joined West Brom, two of the most in-demand footballers, midfielders in Europe, one went to Bayern Munich, one went to PSG. Now they're playing for West Brom and Swansea yeah. in the Premier League. It shows the might, the financial might of the Premier League's middle class. But it also shows, you know, these super clubs are stockpiling players. And I think there is a slight market edge. If you can pick off the, the fringe players from these, I was very disappointed someone didn't get Julian Draxler yeah. on deadline day because I think he would have been a wonderful player to watch in the Premier League. Uh, going back to uh, one of the bigger deals on, on deadline day, 
we saw Fernando Llorente sign for not Chelsea, but Spurs. Uh, Wilfred Boney goes back to Swansea. Uh, Boney, do you think he might be a little bit of a busted flush up there, Critch? I don't know. I think a lot of the time these transfers depend on a player being comfortable and Boney's back at the club where you know he showed his best form in England. Um, so that could work in his favour. Swansea definitely needed uh, another striker and I think I rate time, Tammy Abraham highly. He's in my fantasy team. But, There's um, no higher praise than that. There is certainly not. But um, yeah, Swansea seem to be pinning a lot on youth in certain positions, uh, especially up front with Tammy. So uh, they needed a slightly more experienced head and Boney, um, it really, really did not work out for him at Stoke. Didn't work out at Manchester City either. Um, we hope that, you know, we see we see some better form from him. Well, yeah, I mean, it could be that he turns out to be one of these one-season wonders in the vein of Amir Zaki or, or something like that because he really didn't have that much of a good spell before getting the big city. Almost like Roque Santa Cruz style transfer from Manchester City where a player did well in the Premier League, got snapped up for way too much money and then has been on the decline ever since. But I think he's always had the attributes to... You know, uh, he's never come out of nowhere like an Amizaki. He was rated before he came to Of England. course, he scored a bucket load of goals for Vitesse Arnhem mm-hmm. before they were just a Chelsea adjunct. Um, Evan, Fernando Llorente going to Spurs. That's a, they've, they've needed a good backup for yeah, Harry Kane yeah. for two seasons now. They've definitely got it in Fernando Llorente. Yeah, you would have thought so. Yeah, especially, I mean, looking forward to seeing the deliveries of uh, Christian Eriksen up to Fernando Llorente. Um, yeah, poor Vincent Janssen hasn't really worked out for him at Spurs, but... Um, yeah, Llorente should be a good a good backup, and I think as we've said before on here that you know if Harry Kane goes down with a big injury, then Spurs were looking very vulnerable. Um, but they should. He's a physical less, plan less B as well. Yeah. Not that Kane isn't physical, but he is no. a, a different sort of attacker. It is a bit just on Spurs though. I don't really see how it matches. Like you say, it's a plan B, but often these plan Bs, you know, they can be square pegs in round holes. So. Um, let's let's see how it goes. I, I, I thought, you know, he, he got some goals for Swansea last season in the side that was struggling, who had Gilfie Sigerson's crossing and set-piece delivery to feed off. Um, you know, Tottenham have good set-piece set piece takers themselves in Christian Eriksen. But, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not convinced. I think um, it was maybe just a, a, there's a... There's a hint of late desperation about it, to be honest. Well, I'm very surprised, really, because he's been talking to Chelsea all summer. Uh, he knows Antonio Conte from the time at Juventus. Uh, he's good friends with some of the Chelsea squad. But it's been a weird theme of the summer that Chelsea have been rejected by Ross Barkley. That was a utterly peculiar twist at, at the end of last night. Uh, they were also rejected by Lukaku in fairly uh, major terms. Fernando Llorente. Uh, Alexandro turned them down, among other players. Oxley chamberlain yeah. because on the last podcast, we were ex- completely expecting him to be playing under Antonio Conte yeah. this week. So... What what on earth is going on at Chelsea? Do we think? I mean, is it is it just something wrong with their transfer policy? But they they genuinely struggle to sign players, and I completely trust Antonio Conte to make Zappa Costa, who was their their late signing, the wing back, into a, a very good player, as he did with Marcus Alonso, even though he's not quite as highly rated as, as Alonso was. But is it a worry for Chelsea that they couldn't attract players this summer? I think it is. I think yeah. What- Maybe if it was one or two players, you could kind of put it down to an anomaly. Maybe, you know, Llorente felt he was, he'd was he be first choice back up at Spurs where he'd be maybe third choice at Chelsea. But when you yeah when you list out, there's sort of four or five players there that have all turned them down. There must be something going on behind the scenes, but I'm not sure exactly what it is, whether it's, you know, Michael Emanalo, who does he negotiate the transfers? At Sp- Him and, uh, and Marina Granovskaya, yeah. yeah, they're involved. So whether their negotiating skills are going down the pan or whether Abramovich is not you know, offering enough money and wages. Um, it's a bit of a mystery. Uh, and the last kind of big deal, big money anyway, £23 million, Serge Aurier joining Tottenham from Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, a troubled guy. He talks about a fresh start, um, praised the club's diverse fan base, uh, which for someone with his rap sheet, Critch, uh, is, is uh, probably necessary, you say, even though it's not the full apology that some, uh, some fan groups had asked for. No, and I think um, that apology does need to be made. Uh, there's a lot of discontent uh, among Spurs supporters. I, you say a lot. There's a lot in kind of vocal circles online. We don't know how, you know, other sections of Tottenham support feel. But um, yeah, I, I, I think the majority of Spurs support would be more comfortable seeing RA perhaps just you know set the record straight, put it clear. Um, but Tottenham have a Tottenham have a highly rated 
uh, fullback there and one who is impressed for PSG in France, uh, but is prone to the odd moment of uh, slightly dodgy defending, I think, well, as like, we've seen at the African Cup of Nations and the odd time. So, um, yeah, I, I'm not so sure that it's an improvement on Kyle Walker and in that sense, Spurs fans might not be too happy with it. It seems that it's quite an un Pochettino signing as well, isn't it? I think he seems to have um, prized dressing room harmony and kind of you uh-huh. know good characters around the around the training ground and stuff. Whereas Sergio Aurier definitely seems like he's not cut from that cloth. If you're if you're getting um, a player like him, then you go with the bad behaviour discount, which is essentially what they've got. They got him for below what market value would be yeah. for a player of his technical and and certainly physical abilities. Mm-hmm. However, you need to keep him on the straight and narrow. So it, it's up to Spurs now. Uh, I think he's obviously a good player. Uh, as you say, occasional lapses, but he can play centre-back, he can play left-back, he can play right-back. He's not necessarily the, the Carl Walker up-and-down guy. He's not got that vertical uh, kind of the, the pace that he's going to be covering touchline to uh, t- all the way up the touchline from one end to the other before I forget all my words. Uh, but I think he is an excellent signing. Um, and he came early in the day, which is uh, always favourable for us when we're trying to uh, wade through all the stuff. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What's going on? So that's the, the big deadline day deals. We've covered most of the window uh, in its entirety throughout the summer on this podcast. But our chief football writer, Miguel Delaney, who can't be here today because he's either... Uh, in the pool in Malta ahead of covering England tonight or he is having bottles thrown at him by angry fans uh, he has done transfer window power rankings for us which is uh, 20 to 1 so we're going to go through those now Evan and Critch so let's start at the bottom then uh, Miguel has Newcastle United in 20th uh, a very frustrating summer for Rafa Benitez after having returned this club this great club to the Premier League a uh, very disappointing to miss out on so many targets but this is the Mike Ashley way he very much wears the trousers at this club we spoke uh, the week before last on this podcast about how Rafa can uh, throw his toys out the pram uh, how do we feel about Newcastle uh, Critch at the moment considering their squad really a lot of it does look up a championship rather than anything else well I remember I was on the season preview and I disagreed with that point and I think most of the performances since have uh, not exactly vindicated me. So, so you're just saying that I was right, that's fine. Well, that's one way of putting it. But um, yeah, I mean, Rafa Benitez may well be West Ham United manager by you know this time in October in a, few, in a couple of months. I think he's clearly unhappy with the way things have gone there over the summer. Uh, the investment uh, hasn't simply hasn't been there. And I think by some distance, Newcastle have had the worst window of any club. You can't really say that that squad has been improved that much. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I'd back... Rafa is their greatest asset. Of so course, of course. yeah, I, I back. If he stays, I think they'll stay up. Um, that was my contention at the start of the season. I thought, you know, we're talking about 14th, 15th around there. Uh, and then it's up to him, Mike Ashley, and the rest of the board, Lee Chanley and all those, to try and sort out a plan for next season. I think they'll be okay, but uh, it isn't exactly promising. It's a very real problem for them if Rafa does walk out, and there, there will be clubs who try and get Rafa out of there this season, that's an absolute guarantee. Uh, next, uh, at 19th, is Crystal Palace, according to Miguel. Uh, they signed Mamadou Sacco, obviously, for big money on deadline day. However, um, they didn't replace Steve Mandanda. Uh, they don't have any real competition for Wayne Hennessy because uh, Julian Speroni, despite being a club legend, obviously isn't fancied as a, as a first-team goalkeeper. And there is no backup for Christian Benteke now, uh, with Loic Remy and Fraser Campbell having left. 
Connor Wickham hasn't played a game since November, Evan. Uh, if Benteke gets injured, they're in a bit of trouble. They are indeed, yeah. Um, I mean, what does he, yeah, who does he throw up top if Benteke Well, he's down, used Scott he? Dan uh, up front yeah. uh, the other week. He's got Sacco uh, now as well, so he can Sacco always... Sacco up top. Yeah. Uh, and that, I think Sacco wouldn't be bad. <laughs> that, but it was a bit of a... Ta- did, he, did he use that a bit at Ajax? Did he deboil? At Ajax, at Ajax, he um, used the guys at Swansea, Vanderhorn, um, who's a defender. He threw him up front uh, when they needed a, a sort of plan B. He also used Davy Clarsen and Sien de Jong, both Premier League players, former and current, um, as a kind of false nine at Ajax. I don't know if he would do that at Palace. Uh, there are a couple of players who I think could fill that role. James MacArthur... Uh, you might not associate with that sort of player, but he's uh, an excellent footballer, I think, very underrated. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek is another guy who I think probably has the ability to play that role. But I know for a fact that, that Frank likes the way that he picks up the ball and travels through the zones with it. But it is an issue. It's, I mean, it's something they can address in January, yeah. for sure. But the money is tight at Palace. Uh, they're very, very keen to not test the limits on financial fair play, which other clubs obviously aren't so worried about. Um, and on the continent, particularly Paris Saint-Germain, have found novel ways around that. But Palace uh, didn't have a load of money to spend. Frank de Boer knew that. And, uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see what happens to him because there is a, a feeling that, you know, he could walk or the, the club aren't very happy with him and the way that he's failed to, to coach his new formation, his new shape in, into this team. 18th place, West Ham, uh, a club with a pretty thin squad and they didn't do enough business. Uh, they were trying to sign a midfielder desperately. Uh, in the approach to deadline day William Carvalho was a guy Andre Gomez was a guy they were aiming high at least they always do West Ham they do seem to have the money and they like a glamour signing nothing came off though Critch nothing came off and to be honest I thought the rest of their business for uh, the summer absolutely stunk so yeah I, I mean I, I, t- I tend to keep talking about West Ham on this part and keep saying, coming up with the same answer which is you just can't see any kind of direction there um, uh, I mean, we, we, have about Billet. we have been battering them recently yeah. uh, but I think with reason I know a lot of West Ham fans are pretty unhappy with what's going on I think Slavin Bilic won't last too much longer because they don't have any tactical shape they haven't got the players as we've just discussed and uh, it just seems an unhappy club at the moment still they haven't really recovered from, from moving stadium which I know is a tough thing to do uh, maybe when they have a couple of home games, they might be able to regain some form. But as things stand, they're not looking good. That's the relegation zone in West Ham, Palace, United, uh, Newcastle United, that is. Chelsea just outside it. Chelsea, not a good uh, summer, despite winning the league. Uh, they brought in Bakayoko, who's, who's obviously a very good player and highly rated. At the time of recording, they haven't managed to shift Diego Costa, though he could join Atletico Madrid before the Spanish deadline. And uh, there is talk of going on loan to Las Palmas. Uh, we'll see if that happens. But Chelsea, as we said, struggled to get players in, Critch. I don't understand uh, quite why, and I'm sure that will come out over the next weeks and months, what's happened there. But Antonio Conte is such a good coach that he could probably overcome this. Is that fair? Yeah, I, I think he's certainly, on evidence, the best manager in the Premier League at the moment. Uh, I would maybe, I, Well, actually, I'd maybe put Jose above him simply because of the track record. But yeah, if, I mean, if there's anybody in this division that can manage the way out of this mess, you'd pretty sure it's the reigning champion um Chelsea I, I think low-key they've had like easily a, a worse transfer window than Arsenal simply because of those players that have turned them down Arsenal get a lot of the attention but uh, Chelsea really should have capitalized and really should have uh, consolidated on their status as champions this summer and ultimately uh, how well they've done will be defined on whether or not they uh, retain that Premier League title uh, at the moment um, they weren't my pick at the start of the season and I see no reason to suddenly reinstate them uh, at the moment. In 16th, we have Brighton. Uh, they recruit in a, a different way to most of the Premier League. An extensive scouting network, uh, a lot of data-driven stuff in the team behind Paul Wynn Stanley, their head of recruitment. Do we think... That they obviously needed... One of the big needs... Obviously, they wanted to upgrade the squad in terms of quality, Evan. But the big thing was they had to get a, a striker in. Have they bought enough goals, do you think, this summer? I don't know. Yeah, it's still looking a bit thin. I think their squad, although they've... well. Thin is probably a, the wrong word to use when they've signed 11 players, but um, it doesn't kind of scream of quality and Premier like Premier League quality. Well, a, a lot of it is because, squad. I guess, these players are unknown. Yeah. So like yeah, Jose yeah. Luis Izquierdo is a Colombian winger they signed from Club Bruges, and they think he's going to be brilliant. They really, really, really rate him. Uh, people, lots of Premier League fans, uh, will never have seen Izquierdo play. Yeah. So I think there will be a couple of these players who, who pop out 
who become names that are known. Pascal Gross is another one from Ingolstadt, who I've been kind of uh, ringing the bell for a little bit. But it does look, as you kind of alluded to, uh, just a little short mm. in attack. Chris Hewton has a reputation as a, a manager who can get teams up, but can he keep this one up? Yeah. I mean, I think looking at Brighton, I, think, I suppose, you know, a great result for them would be finishing 17th Absolutely. this season. So that's their, you know, that's what they're aiming for. I don't see it's, you know, I think there are a lot of bad teams in the Premier League. So, there are. you know, I could easily see three teams finishing below them. Um, yeah, Chris Hewton's had a bit of a reputation for maybe mediocrity at the top level. Maybe that's a bit unfair, but yeah, he's got a bit to prove this season. But I, I, I don't think it's beyond them to stay up. 16th in the transfer league table. They would definitely take that in the real one come at the end of the season. At 15th, we have Arsenal, who, uh, as we discussed earlier, have had uh, a curious window. They they have definitely done well to keep Alexis Sanchez in terms of just having a player who's good, Critch. Mm-hmm. They've got him, Lacazette, Meza Ozil uh, in attack. The team behind it is is less strong. I think central midfield is it's funny because this was a position they never looked at strengthening this summer. And most people that watch Arsenal regularly, uh, Jack uh, Pitbrook does a lot for us, and, and Miguel sees a lot of them. They say the central midfield is actually a problem for them. Uh, they have done some weird things in defence. They tried to sell Shkodran Mustafi, but then failed, so they've kept him. The, the centre-backs are a bit weird. Uh, they've lost a, a versatile player in Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. What do you make of, of their summer business, and do you think that this squad really now is, is not one that's ready for the top four? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been saying that pretty consistently. I think um, so. Uh, it was interesting before when you said about Sanchez. You said uh, that our Arsenal now in a kind of win now mode. Well, if they were in a win now mode, they would have sorted out the manifest problems that have always been there, like you just said in midfield and defence. Jaka, um, Ramsey, Cochran, whichever kind of like combination you put in there, it doesn't seem to work. And that didn't seem to be a priority for them at the start of the summer, at least judging by their business. Uh, again, there's been the experiment in defence, um, uh, allowing Mustafi to leave, or, well, they haven't, but, you know, coming close right, to right. it, trying to get <laughs> yeah, him yeah. to leave was was a puzzling one, to say the least. Not that I think he was that impressive last season, but that he's just one of the more established central defenders that they've got uh, and in a system where they're trying to play three of them. So, yeah, I mean, we've said it a few times now. It just seems like there was zero planning again and I think it comes back to the club's structure and the power that is just invested in one figure that is Arsene Wenger uh, like I said on the pod on Tuesday uh, I was in the camp to say that Wenger should have gone at the end of last season after the FA Cup triumph I think it was a, a victory that they didn't suspect uh, didn't expect was coming and it was the perfect time to say goodbye but uh, they haven't, and we just don't know how much longer this is going to go on for. Uh, maybe another two years. I actually read a brilliant uh, on uh, Ars blog, which is obviously very well known. Yeah. Arsenal blog. Tim Stillman did a column this week, and, and the kind of the, the thrust of that uh, you should go go and read it. That's arsblog dot uh, com. The thrust of that was that no one. It's not people really arguing about whether Wenger should go or not. Now it's it's when you realised Wenger should go, and. What goes with that is there's no hierarchy. It's not just because you thought Wenger should go first that you, you know, you're a better fan or, or worse fan. And I'm not an Arsenal fan. I'm just an impartial observer in all this. But it does feel like there, the consensus now is, is that he should go. Uh, we're going to have a piece uh, on the website later, independent.co.uk slash sport uh, by Andrew Mangan of Blog, talking about Alexis Sanchez and how things go forward with him at Arsenal. The, the expectation is that he won't sign a new contract. So it's a year of him at the team. It's going to be interesting to see how he reintegrates because there have been a lot of reports about the teammates just wanting him out at the end of the day. So, yeah, Arsenal, a bit of a mess of a summer, but we've got to move on to 14th where we have Burnley. Uh, I think they've bought, well, a lot of kind of cheap but bargain signings. John Waters for three million. I think Naki Wells for five is not so bad, uh, but they've lost Andre Gray. At the end of the day, I feel like Sean Dyche is probably still the most important person at Burnley and he can keep them up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think we said that was probably their their biggest worry going into this summer would be that someone bigger would come in and, and, and nick Sean Dyche. Um, I think the business they've done is okay. Maybe 14th is a little bit harsh. I know they've lo- lost two of their best players, but you know they've got a lot of money for them and arguably they've kind of brought some good players in. Chris Wood came in and scored on his debut. 
Um, so, you know, it'd be interesting to see if he can take the step up. He looks, he's always been a, one of those very good championship players, yeah. whether he can kind of, you know, get it over the line in the Premier League. Um, it'd be interesting to see. But, you know, they're always difficult to beat. We saw them, you know, they beat Chelsea without... Well, they've had a great start Gray to the season and, yeah. already, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, that, as you say, the coaching of Sean Dyche is going to be... And above them, in the 13th, asset. above them in 13th, we have Southampton. Uh, their summer, I suppose, has revolved around Virgil van Dijk. They've done really well to keep him. Unlike the Alexis Sanchez situation, they don't lose him for free next summer. So my one fear with this is, is for example, if Leicester had sold Riyad Mahrez last summer, for, they could have sold him for 50 million plus. Mm. Uh, they failed to sell him at that price this summer, despite trying. Uh, they got bids of 20, 30 million. Will Van Dijk still be worth this much next summer, do you think, or in January? Do you still think he's likely to leave? Well, if he gets back to is it I don't know, he's not match fit at the moment, so he's training again with the team after a long injury layoff. If he bucks up his ideas and knuckles down and plays week in, week out, then there's no reason why his transfer value will go down. But if he continues to be out of the team, then as you say, he could drop, I don't know what, what was being offered, sort of 70 million, something like that. Well, I mean, that's the sort of, of guy who, at that price, the price that they were talking about, 70 million pounds, is he's going to need to be an elite sort of level centre-back. The world's most expensive defender, which I don't think he is quite deserving of just yet. Ludicrous um, in the summer when Benucci went for like half that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know if... Nobody actually offered for Van Dijk in the end, so we don't know how much people were willing to pay, but the the talk was always around 70 million mark. Um, whether he's worth that, I, I'm, I'm not convinced, but I do think it depends how much he's worth to the club that wants to buy him. And for Liverpool, I think they'd be willing to part with 70 million pounds to sort out the centre of the defence. Uh, but there's a whole load of other reasons why they couldn't go in from India. And, and, and indeed, you wrote a piece uh, to that effect. Liverpool have strengthened their strength. Uh, in fact, we'll, you know what? We'll wait for Liverpool to wait talk for about Liverpool. That. Let's yeah, go on to the 12th place where, where we have Bournemouth. Uh, obviously, they got a lot of their business done early, uh, which is always very helpful. Eddie Howe is a very stable influence at that club, and, and he had a big say in their recruitment. Everyone pretty happy with, with Bournemouth and what they've done. I mean, none of that was late, so uh, it's something we've assessed in the season preview, really. Yeah, no, it was all done fairly early. My one sticking point would be Jermaine Defoe, where I don't think he's worth a three-year contract and a lot of money yeah, yeah. at he, 35 years he old. He dropped to the bench, wasn't he, in one of their... Yeah. ...against Watford, I think. Um, yeah, I think it's a funny one. I don't think Eddie Howe's a great coach, and I think he's you know very good at developing players, and he's obviously brought his squad on a lot, but he hasn't got a great track record on transfers. So it'd be kind of interesting to see mm. how these guys... You know, Ake has been there before. He's played well. We kind of know that Asmir Begovic is... You know, he's a proven Premier League yeah, player. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, they spent a bit of money and it'd be interesting to see how they go, their new signings. The complaint of other championship fans was that they spent their way out of the championship and they, and they actually had a, quite a few signings who didn't work out. So you're right that it's never been necessarily their strong point. Uh, Huddersfield are another team who, who didn't back down from spending in, in the championship. Their work in the market has reflected their displays in the, in the Premier League so far, Critch. They've been progressive, uh, kind of inspire some confidence that they could stay up and they're defying the economy. They've bought some cheap players in from Germany and uh, the performances have been good. Just David Wagner bringing things through. Yeah, I think we said on the season preview that Wagner Wagner as a coach uh, would, would maybe be enough to at least make them challenge and uh, perhaps avoid relegation. I would still say I, w I still have them in my bottom three for the end of the season. I think they've had an impressive start and I think... Um, yeah, uh, some of it, like, um, uh, is it Mo uh, Mooney? And, um, yeah, yeah I, I can never say it. Club record uh, signing Moy. £12 million, pounds, but he's scoring goals already, which is... Well, he scored, he scored the two against Palace I, I, anyway. But, um, yeah, I, I still don't think it's enough, essentially. And I think maybe 11th is a little too high, but uh, they've done they've made a good start, I'm looking at it. a bit high there for Critch. And so to the top half with Stoke in 10th, uh, which, given some of the, the fears at the start of the campaign about Mark Hughes, obviously... A high-profile uh, win on television always helps, and, and they've ex added experience with Darren Fletcher, which we knew, and Kurt Zuma. Not much late business from them, except uh, the likes of Bojan leaving the club. Uh, Swansea in ninth. We know uh, Renato Sanchez, as we talked about. That's some, some clever business. Roque Mesa, I think he could be a really good signing. They've lost Fernando Llorente, but they bring back Boney. We kind of discussed that one in, in the deadline day mm -hmm. stuff. We'll move on to eighth place. Now, this is uh, Liverpool. As we said, they've really fortified some strengths that they had. They're going to be blistering on the counter-attack, and we saw that 
against Arsenal as they won 4-0, Critch, you were there. But the defence was a problem. It was a barrier to a title defence, uh, as we had a, a reader question on a couple of weeks ago. And they haven't really, I mean, apart from Andrew Robertson, who I think is a good left-back and probably will be slightly better than Alberto Moreno. Do we think that this defence is still not good enough for them to t- t- uh, challenge for the title? I think it's still the team's main weakness um, and, it, and it hasn't been addressed and there is frustration there amongst the fans that um, at the start of the window when you would have said we want maybe one, maybe even two centre-backs to uh, to really strengthen this area of weakness in the team, uh, none have come in. Um, like I said, there are extenuating circumstances around why Virgil van Dijk was not brought to the club. Uh, but, was it, but was it not... And I think I was talking to uh, Evan about this yesterday. Is it not the case that once they realised the Van Dyke thing was going to be difficult, and even that was on the morning of deadline day, there's been a bit of a problem with Klopp in that he... I, I kind of admire that he says, I only want to get the best players and the ones I want. But what about a plan B? What about saying, like, honestly, the defence is an issue. And if we could get a six or seven out of ten centre-back to come in and just stop leaking these stupid goals then we could challenge for a title. They could have gone for someone yesterday and they don't need to necessarily go and spend £70 million. They could go and get someone for, for £20 million. Or Klopp could get over his issues with Mamadou Sacco and not sell him to Crystal Palace and they've got a really good defender in-house. Is it not fair to say that on this one thing they could have just compromised and they would have given themselves a great shot? I think it's a fair criticism, but you also need to remember this is the defence that got them to the Champions League last season. Um, and then look at the rest of the business that they've done. They've not compromised on Cater. A few weeks ago, they could have said, let's just get another midfielder in. And yet they managed to work a deal out where he comes next next year for what we believe is a relatively good fee. Uh, and, you know, that, that's a midfielder that they can build their side around for years to come. There's, it has its strengths and weaknesses, uh, this kind of stubbornness that Klopp shows when he's going for targets in the window. Um, on Van Dijk, maybe it will cost them a few here, a few there, but like we said, like we said a few times now, Liverpool's defensive problems seem a little bit more systemic than they are about personnel. And while Van Dijk would have helped, I don't know how if he would have helped that much to really propel them towards a title challenge. I think that they're, they're capable of it actually still. But yeah, uh, we would like to have seen a defender in there to just edge it along that little bit further. And Evan, there is a feeling the Champions League group isn't the hardest. Uh, you know, they could have got a really bad one. They didn't get a really bad one. So. If they can rotate, if they can stay in touch with the leaders, say in the Premier League by Christmas, then signing one in January could be about enough. Do you think? Yeah, Pat. Always looking for a Premier League push. Or yeah, I, I mean, for? I think they've got to be looking at a title challenge, a club like Liverpool, no? Yeah, I think they should be a club of their stature. Um, you know, they spent a bit of money now. I still, as Critch said, you know, those sort of systemic problems. They, you know, last year they had that real collapse in the in the new year. I think sort of around February time where they lost like two or three games in a row. Um, and there just do seem to be some problems that they need to sort out on the on the training field. Um, some of the defending in that Watford game, the opening game, was uh, horrendous. And yeah, as Critch says, I'm not sure buying a really expensive defender and just chuck him in is going to necessarily sort all those problems out. But they were, as, as we all saw, impressive against Arsenal. Uh, next they up, they didn't have to do too much defending. No, of course. Uh, <laughs> next up in seventh place, Manchester City, uh, I guess they're this far down, Critch, because despite fixing a lot of problems, uh, they did miss their top target in the shape of Alexis Sanchez. Uh, that's going to obviously be a problem for them, but they got Bernardo, Bernardo Silva for what I think might prove to be a very decent fee, and they got him very early. They got the fullbacks they needed after losing Sanya, Zabaleta, Clichy, uh, and Kolarov, of course, in the end. Could they have done with another centre-back maybe as well, do you think? I think that's the area where they should have strengthened. Yeah, and of course, they were after Johnny Evans. Um, didn't go through because of Ilkin uh, Mangala's refusal to go to Crystal Palace. And so Saka went to Crystal Palace, as we all know. Um, yes, they could do with another body there. They could have maybe done with another body in central midfield. But City, like we said, addressed the real problem area that they had, which was fullback. Uh, I think the fullbacks that were on the books last season really hampered Guardiola and City's title challenge. And now they've got a whole new set who fit his game plan and fit what's, what he wants to do with the club. Um, Sanchez, yes, they'll be disappointed to miss out on him, but it's another attacking player when he's struggling to fit them all into one side. So whether he was really necessary or not, I don't know. And look, 
Guardiola's obviously got a relationship there. Maybe he's confident that once Alexis's contract runs out at the end of the season, then uh, the deal will be done then. We'll see. We'll It'll see. certainly be a good Bosman signing, you'd think. Um, also, we expect City to go strongly after a, a top, top central midfielder next summer. Uh, so keep an eye on that this season when you start hearing names linked with them because they're going to look for a long-term replacement for the likes of, of Yaya Torre, Fernandinho mm-hmm. and Fernando. Uh, if you thought the defence was changed over this summer, next summer, it's going to be that midfield. Uh, in sixth, we've got Everton. I guess they could have been higher because they wanted a they wanted a striker. Ronald Koeman has, has talked about it at length. They really wanted someone to replace Lukaku and they tried virtually every avenue. In the end, they're going to have Calvert-Lewin, who we all like, I think, Evan. Yeah. Uh, they've got Rooney, obviously, who can play there. They've got Sandro, who, again, is one of the signings of the window at £5.1 million. Pounds. But, but the manager himself, despite having a pretty good and a pretty eventful window, still feels they're one short in attack. Yeah, he's been talking a lot uh, the last few weeks about um, trying to get this loan deal in for Diego Costa which obviously um, they didn't manage it's to do. It's ambitious, though, isn't it? That is a club with a real yeah, ambition now. Absolutely, and You yeah. saw that in their summer business. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, the amount of money they sold, uh, they spent, sorry, on, you know, Michael Keane, Sigurdsson. Um, uh, sorry, names are going out of my head. David Clarkson. Clarkson. David, David Clarkson, Clarkson sorry, David Clarkson, yeah. I think. And Jordan Pickford, really I think, is an excellent addition. So, really yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, their new owner is really giving Cohen his backing. Um, but they do look very short up front. I think Rooney's had a good start to the season. Whether he's going to give them enough goals, I'm not not so sure about. Calvert-Lewin, I've actually got my fancy team, so there you go. Rate him highly as well. But, um, the ultimate compliment once again. But yeah, I think they, they do lack a, a top quality. I would actually really put push on. Everton lower. Sorry, I think, I, I think the Lukaku thing was really key. They really did need to replace him. And splurging uh, 50-odd million pounds on Gilfie Sigurdsson when you already have Klassen and you've just brought in Rooney and you've got these other players that can play that position seemed unnecessary to me I think um, yeah it wasn't really joined up thinking there and to be honest I think they're going to struggle to replace Lukaku's goals the, the front line is very slow this is the real sticking point and I can't see them really finishing above that seventh place mark that they always seem to end up in well this is an experiment in sharing the goals around really in terms of bringing in Sigurdsson he might get 10-15 yeah. Rooney might get 10-15 David Clarkson might get 10-15 Sandro might get 10-15 uh, rather than having Lukaku, who got, say, 40%, 50% of their goals last season? Perhaps, but I, d- I don't know. I d- like, I'm, I'm unconvinced by Sandro, if I'm honest. I think we all know the questions that are around Rooney. Uh, Klaassen has produced in the Eredivisie, but we all know what the Eredivisie's like. Uh, yeah, I, it's, it's it's just a struggle. It's just a struggle to see how it all comes together and what the plan is for Ronald Coleman attacking-wise. The chance of getting in the top six might be down to Arsenal being awful rather than them being good, you wonder. Uh, in fifth is Tottenham, uh, who, as always, left it late, late, late. They didn't get Andre Gomez, so they really tried uh, at the end. We've talked about Llorente. They lost Kyle Walker, uh, which I think in the early games of the season, guys, we've seen, especially on that big Wembley pitch, we've seen that that actually might be more of a loss than Mauricio Pochettino had anticipated. Uh, but otherwise, a, a strong window for Tottenham, everyone agreed? I don't know. I think it's mm. a bit... Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, let's look at it. Okay, so Kevin Wimmer went out. They brought in Davinson Sanchez for a, a lot of money. He's a good player, though. Yes, but he's also a very young player. And he's also going to be only back up to the two best centre-backs in the league, perhaps, or the best central defensive partnership. We'll see how it works. I mean... I He's think got I, time. I, I kind of agree with Miguel having them, them fifth because the biggest hole they've had for the last two years has been a backup to Harry Kane. They've got it. They've still got the fact the consistency they've got. They've got Poch still. They've got all those players that play behind. I think uh, Jack has said at length that they needed a guy who can kind of break a sparky sort of Zaha sort of player who can break down the defence, and they, they maybe didn't get that. But for now, I think they've done okay. Yeah. In fourth, Evan Manchester United. Jose Mourinho was not involved on deadline day. Yeah. They just loaned a few players out, um, but all that business done early. They could perhaps have gone and got a Gareth Bale or someone like that this summer, and, and you know Real Madrid weren't averse to that yeah. for sure. But they can they can say they've had a good window, can't they? With signing Lukaku, a proven goal scorer, and the, and the other players they've got. Yeah, absolutely. I think 
you know, Mourinho identified his probably four positions that he really wanted. He got Lukaku and he got Lindelof in centre-back. He got Nemanja Matic in midfield, which looks like it could be one of the best bits of business of the whole window, actually. Actually, he didn't get a wide... He wanted a wide well, man, wanted, didn't sorry, he? Sorry, I was going to say, that yeah. was the one position he did, didn't get was, like, the wide forward. So even Perisic was... A, he was a long-term target, long target yeah. The whole summer. So I think Mourinho would be slightly disappointed in that. But um, but overall, I think the fact, as you said, that uh, Mourinho wasn't doing any activity on transfer deadline day says he's probably quite satisfied with his business. Yeah, they didn't they didn't go all out to try and get someone on deadline day, which suggests they probably think they've got enough. They've also got a, a strong academy there. So I wonder if, if Jose could reach in there. Um, the player, What's the player's really rate? Angel Gomez? Is that yeah, the guy? Yeah, Angel Gomez, yeah. He won the Jimmy Murphy Award last year. So. And, uh, you know, they've got a couple of other guys who can provide some, some depth to that squad, especially with the European rotation. We're into the top three now. Uh, Leicester City, would you believe, in third place? Uh, they kept Jamie Vardy and Riyad Mahrez. They signed intelligent players like Harry Maguire, who's got his first England call up. Vicente Ibora, who I like to refer to as a Spanish Fellaini, but he's a he's a good chess piece. You can move him around and use him in a variety of roles. A big physical hunk of a man. Uh, I think Leicester have done well. I really do. Uh, Craig Shakespeare might be an underrated coach, but. Leicester are going to be solid again this season and uh, they managed to get a good fee for Danny Drinkwater, do we think? Yeah, I think as Chris said before, that sort of 35, 40 million looks like about as much as they probably could have squeezed out of him and I think that's probably quite a good deal. And I think the other one that, you know, keeping hold of Riyad Mahrez, who was on yes. a plane... Well, he went AWOL left, yesterday. Yeah, uh, he left the Algeria bit. squad and he was seen in France and then the reports of him in Spain as well. So I think actually keeping him could be quite good and actually where he's been different to players like... Felipe Coutinho at Liverpool, who's not been playing, and Van Dijk's been sulking. Actually, Riyad Mahrez has played pretty well so far this season. So well, he's also uh, he's going to have to play well if he wants to get this move in January. Basically, yeah. they've got Demarai Gray, who I think is excellent and has to play more. But with with Mahrez firing, and Albrighton is a guy that is a, an incredibly effective role player as well. And they kind of play a really old school sort of shape. Leicester, and I think it does take a couple of teams by surprise, but Albrighton's an important part of that in, in providing balance. So there you have signed well, as, as Miguel says, third, uh, maybe slightly high for me, but, but third. Second, we've got West Brom, who made, for me, you know, one of the best late window signings in Gregor Krakowiak, as we discussed from Paris Saint-Germain. That is an absolutely brilliant signing on loan. Uh, I saw him at, at Sevilla a lot when I was out in Spain, living in Spain, and He's just an incredibly good defensive midfielder. He can control the game. He can play at centre-back as well. He can play further up in midfield. He can pick a pass. He can control the game, but he can break up the game. Tony Pulis player. In a Tony Pulis team. it's just <laughs> it, Honestly, it's a, it, it will fit so well. It's one of those where I think there's virtually not a team in the Premier League that couldn't have done with signing him, considering like Chelsea were still pushing for a midfielder on, on deadline day and overspent on drink water. I think... Arsenal could have probably Ars- Arsenal. I mean, Arsenal. Too. So West Ham, who were trying to get William Carvalho and Andre Gomez. I think Tottenham could have done with it. There's not a single team, I don't think, who could have benefited from signing the Polish midfielder. But West Brom actually signed a lot of decent players. Jay Rodriguez is, is potential, and if he stays fit, we all know he can be good enough. You know, to, to be a, a top Premier League player. Kieran Gibbs seemed cheap to me at seven million pounds, um, but he needs to play regular football for sure. Oliver Burke was highly rated when he went to Le- Leipzig a year ago. And he comes back from Germany. Uh, we'll see what, what Pulis does with him. Uh, not necessarily the best environment for an attacking wide player, but uh, he so does. It'll be flick-ons to win corners, won't it? Uh, I but mean, you he's know, that bigger guy. Like if you're a good if you're good at crossing, he's also he has as you say he's he's got a decent frame for a winger. I think he's above six foot. So maybe that's why Tony likes him. What do you think about West Brom's business, everyone? I just yeah. think, like you say, I think it's interesting to figure out what Tony Pulis is going to do with all these players that don't really seem to fit the mould of a Tony Pulis player. Um, yeah, West Brom is the type of team who like to take a 1-0 lead, as we've seen quite a few times already this season, and sit back and then protect it. Um, I can see maybe Jay Rodriguez, Oliver Burke, those types of players getting a little bit frustrated with that. But, I don't know, we'll see how it ha- see what works. I mean, he's had Pulis had Tunchai before at Stoke, didn't he? And uh, that didn't go too well. Maybe this will turn out different. Yeah, I was going to say, we've sort of seen Tony Pulis has, um, you know, he's been well, West Brom have been very consistent these last few years, and then maybe there's the fans are starting to get that a sort good of crumbling. They, well. they want us to kind of push on to that next level, perhaps with seeing Tony Pulis trying to buy those slightly higher quality players that's going to take them into that you know top seven as well, opposed to Krakowiak, certainly yeah. a higher quality player, yeah. um, probably the most talented player in their squad now. I'd say, um, 
Nasser Chadley as well. He he didn't leave in the end. Is that right? No, oh, he didn't. No, he stays. He stays. Yeah, he stayed. But he stayed. Um, so as long as Pulis can keep him happy, uh, he's done a great job. So that leaves top of the table then. Miguel has crowned Watford as your transfer window champions. Arguably the club who most backed their manager relative to resources, he says. Uh, they also signed the widest range of different qualities. They've got Marco Silva strikers, players he knows like Andre Carrillo, who's a proven international, who's, who's very talented. But they've also kind of moved away from the Matsari and even the Pozzo model of having just a, a glut of random foreigners on the training ground. They brought back an English core, which I think the fans were very happy about because they started to feel a little bit distant from their team. Nathaniel Chalaba was five, seven million pounds, we think. Tom Cleverley in the same ballpark. They've brought some good, young, cheap players in. It looks like it was done with a plan. It looks like it was done with a thought for what the manager wants, but also a thought for value. I feel like they've ticked almost every box they could have done. Uh, yeah. Andre Gray uh, is the one who you might say was a slight overpay because of his contract bit. situation. But we're all impressed with Watford this year. Is this a fair thing for Miguel to say, that they had the best summer of any Premier League team? I think perhaps it's a bit of an eye-catching one. You sort of think, looking at the names, n- none of them are massive stand-up players. Like maybe you know West Brom could go with them. But you could actually say that one of the best bits of business the club has done is the signing of Marco Silva. Absolutely. Um, so I think when you when you bring that in, that, that probably does push them to the top. And another name we haven't mentioned is uh, Richarlison as well, who oh, I think of course, looked, yeah, yeah. looked very bright um, early on, the young Brazilian forward. Uh, he scored already. Uh, he looks like he could be a real handful and a, a good signing there. So, Yeah, yeah, no, I agree on Richarlison. Uh, Gray, I would agree, is slightly overpriced. That's probably why I wouldn't put them at number one. And I'm not too big a fan of Tom Cleverley anymore. I think, you know, that train's been and gone. But, yeah, the, like you say, Watford, they bought young, they bought uh, cheap, they bought well, and Marco Silva is a big asset to them. I, you know, I don't, I don't foresee any problems for them this season. And uh, yeah, I, I think they could even break into the top half, perhaps. So that's Watford then, our transfer window champions. So if you want to check out that entire article and read Miguel's reasoning, uh, that is all up on the website, independent.co.uk/sport, or check out Miguel on Twitter is at Miguel Delaney, half Irish, half Spanish, hence the name. So that is all we have time for in this special edition of the Indie Football Podcast. Uh, As I say, please do, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, let us know. Go and review it on iTunes. Uh, If you have any feedback, things we should improve or change, then please get in touch with us on on Twitter or also in the review section of iTunes. Uh, I've had Evan Bartler with me today. Evan, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Ed. Mark Critchley, uh, heading back to the north, but thank you for your stint this week. Thank you, Ed. And... uh, Thank you to producer Matt Murphy. He'll be on holiday for the next couple of weeks, but he's done a, a sterling job. Thank you to our friends at Acast who make this all possible. If you enjoy the podcast, please tell a friend, share the joy. Uh, this has been the Indie Football Podcast. I've been Ed Malian. Goodbye. Goodbye.